there's no better picture of the family as God created it in one verse. I mean, can you believe it? In Ephesians chapter 6, the first verse, I want you to look what it says. Children, all right, that's part of the family. Obey your parents, that's the family, in the Lord, for this is right. Right there, God talks about children. Right there, God talks about father and mother. And it talks about the fact that it, we all are to be centered in the Lord, for this is right. You know, you know the clearest and most exhaustive truth about God's plan for marriage, for the family, is found in, in two passages, and I'm not going to read them. I'm going to zero in on one particular passage. But I would encourage you today, on this Father's Day, to read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, and then Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It is amazing. In those little cluster of verses, God just gives a picture of the relationship between the husband and the wife, and the wife and the husband. Gives a beautiful picture of the relationship of the children to the parents, and of the parents to the children. You would be blessed to read it. You would be blessed to read it as a family. And God would use it to show you his pattern and his plan. You know, but I've chosen today on this Father's Day just to constant, concentrate on what the Bible says about a Christian father, a godly father, and just ask the Lord to show us what it means. And how, as Ed has so wonderfully pointed out, the difference that the presence of the father makes in a home. You know, um, let's, let us, let's let the scripture speak to us about what it means to be a father. You know, the first thing that came to me is I just said, well, I don't have any outline. I'm just going to read the Bible and just see what it says and, and just kind of ask God to show me. He showed me the first thing is this, that a, a, the father is a husband. You see, you can't be a father unless you have a wife, unless you have children. And so really the first thing about a father is, is he is a husband and he is married to his wife and together they have had children. And when that first child comes into the world, the fa father is not only a husband, but he absolutely becomes a father. Now, you know, the Bible makes clear the kind of husband that we're supposed to be. Here's this person now who is a father, but before he was a father, he was a husband. And so God says, now, this is the husband that I want you to be so that you can be the father that I intended for you to be. Ephesians 5.23. Did you know that the Bible says that the husband, the father, the husband, 
is to be the spiritual leader of his house. Look what it says. For the husband is the head of the wife. Now get this. As so also Christ is the head of the church and the Savior of the body. So it plainly tells us that just as Jesus is the spiritual leader of his body, the church, the husband is to be the spiritual leader of his wife and therefore of his family. But you know, here's the problem. You can't be a spiritual leader unless you're a spiritual man. You know, I, I know there are probably I know there are people that are not saved, who were raised by good fathers, and even though they haven't known Christ, they do the best they can to encourage their children, to provide for them, and to raise them. I understand that. I've known unsaved people that had did a good job of being caring and providing and providing some leadership for their family. However, you cannot be the spiritual leader of your wife and of your home unless you are a spiritual man. It has to start there. In the flesh, you can never love your wife like Christ loved the church. In the flesh, you will never have the wisdom to understand your children and to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It is a given to be a spiritual leader in your home. You have got to be a spiritual man. And, and, and you know, in this same passage of Ephesians, where all this is about the family, you know, there's a verse in Ephesians 5.18 that is the key to being a spiritual leader. It says in Ephesians 5.18, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is riot, but look at this, but be filled with the Spirit. And then it goes on and talks about worship, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart. Then it goes on and talks about submitting to one another in the fear of God. But then it goes right on into what it means to be a spiritual husband and a spiritual father what it means to be a spiritual wife. And so it is in the context of being filled with the Spirit that the Word of God talks about marriage and the family and being husband, wife, and parents. You know, there's one thing for sure. When a man repents of his sin, realizes how lost he is without God and without Christ, and in repentance of sin, realizes how much he needs a Savior, and repents and turns to Jesus Christ and receives Christ as his Lord and Savior, and Jesus Christ comes into his life, he experiences the redemption, the forgiveness, the restoration that they sing about. When he experiences redemption, then he has the capacity not only to be a husband and a father, but to be a spiritual husband and a spiritual father, and the spiritual leader of his home. You cannot be the spiritual leader of your home unless you are a spiritual man. So once Christ comes into our life, then we have to say, Now, Lord, you know that I desire to love my wife like Christ loved the church. Father, you know my heart's desire is that my children 
will grow up to know Jesus and to be in the nurture and be raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know my heart. But God, I, I'm telling you, I've, you're going to have to help me. Holy Spirit, you're going to have to give me wisdom. Hey, by the way, every wife is different. You know, one of the hardest verses in the Bible is where it says to, this to the husbands. Husbands, live with, you, with your wife according to understanding. How many of you men really understand your wife? You say, which one? The one that woke up yesterday or the one that woke up today? When just when you think you've got it figured out, you ain't got it figured out. So what you have to do in order to be the spiritual leader of your home and in order to be the husband before you are the father, God has got to give you the wisdom and the Holy Spirit's got to give you understanding of your wife, understanding of who she is, of how she was raised, her personality, her temperament, and all those things, I'm telling you, 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 I don't, you ain't got a chance of being a good husband without the leadership of the Holy Spirit. There's just no way. You know, you get two people that are in the flesh, and guess what you have? Conflict. You get one person who's a Christian and the other's in the flesh, what have you got? Conflict. But if you get a husband that is filled with the Spirit and is depending on the Holy Spirit to lead him, and you've got a wife who is saved and filled with the Spirit and depending on the Holy Spirit to lead her, then, hey, you've got two spiritual people led by the same Holy Spirit, and together they're going to have a marriage that will produce godly, godly children. I, I'll tell you, I, I've counseled, I've done many, many, many uh, years of marriage counseling. I don't do it now because I'm too old and uh, I don't have the time. But anyway, I mean, for years, I, it was nothing for me to see 15 or 16 people a week at Cottage Hill. And, and, and a lot of it was marriage counseling. And I said to myself, I must undoubtedly be uh, the Clyde Narimore of marriage counseling. I said, I must be the best. But I realized that was not it. It was because I was free. And the guy down the road charged $100. And, you know, I'd, 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 I'd counsel people and just say, God, please help me to understand. But, see, let me say this. I never really remember counseling a husband and a wife about their marriage where both of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Never. Oh, I, I found, I've counseled them where one was filled with the Spirit or another one. But I never remember both of them coming in full of the Spirit of God in love with Jesus we, we may have to have talk about their children or talk about their spiritual growth. Let me say this. On this Father's Day, remember that a father is a husband. And, and, and he's to be the spiritual leader of his wife and his home. And you cannot be the spiritual leader of your wife and in your home unless you are a spiritual man. And that means that you die to yourself. You surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And you say, Lord, I will never be the husband I ought to be. And I will never be the father I ought to be. Unless the Holy Spirit fills my life and controls me. And gives me the capacity to love with the love of Christ. And the wisdom of Christ 
to be a spiritual leader in my So the, on this Father's Day, you've got to remember that the father is first a husband. There, there are three verses that talks about the father as a husband of his wife. Ephesians 5, 20, uh, 25. Look what it says. It talks about husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Well, how did Jesus love the church? Selflessly, he gave himself. Sacrificially, he laid down his life. He says, husbands, love your wives selflessly and sacrificially, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. No room for selfishness. Husbands, we're to love our wives like Christ loved the church. Look at verse 28. It goes on. And it talks about uh, uh, being a spiritual husband. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And so you, you know how we men are all about taking care of our bodies, you know, when we were young especially. Now as we get older, we just feed it. But anyway, it says here, you love your body. You take care of it. Well, listen, love your wife like you love your own body. For he that loves his wife loves himself. And then there's another verse. Three times he just talks about being a godly father by being a godly husband. It says in, in, in Ephesians 5, verse uh, 33, this word. He says, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, the first thing you are as a father today is you're a husband. And as a husband, the Bible says you're to love your wife. And that the two become one in the bond and spirit of Jesus Christ. And you are the spiritual leader. You are the spiritual leader of your home. And when the Bible speaks of Christ as the head of the church and the husband is the head of the wife, it's talking about spiritually, to provide spiritual leadership. Now, but let's move on to the next thing. Not only the husband, the father is a husband, the father is a parent. Now, I love this verse. Ephesians 6, 4. I just want us to look at what it says. It says, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. I said to myself, now wait a minute, Lord. What in the world are you talking about? You're telling me not to make my children angry. Well, how do I make them angry? But it says, don't make them angry, but bring them up. By the way, you know, we talk about raising children. That's a pretty good word. Bring them up. How? In the New King James, it says, in the nurture and admonition, in the training and admonition of the Lord. So, as a parent, you are laying a spiritual foundation in the lives of your children. You're not only making them angry, you're not making them angry, but you are laying a foundation and you're raising them up and training them in the admonition of the Lord. You know, the only thing about being a father is you've never been one before. 
you know, you don't get a trial run. I wish that I could raise, I wish I could raise five children. No, I don't want that many. If I could wish I could raise some children and, and get trained and then have my own children. Because you, you know what you do in raising children, unless you're really knowledgeable of the word of God, unless you have some kind of guidance. And by the way, the, 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 the way you're going to raise your children is probably a lot of the times the way you were raised. Is but you know you you don't have any experience, you know. I, I mean, when somebody wants to tell me about how to be a good father, I say, "How many kids you got?" Or being a good parent. Well, you know, I don't have any, but I sure studied a lot. Don't hand me that. I was going to write a book, Ten Easy Ways to Raise Children." I threw it away. I mean, you can't do that. You, you got to understand that God has to lead us, to lead us, and to give us wisdom. Every child is different. Man, what gets me, you know, they're, they're kind of like clay in the potter's hand. That little boy, that little girl, I mean, they're kind of like clay. And, and so here, you, and, uh, you as a father are the potter, and you're helping to shape their lives. My, what a responsibility. Dear God, I mean, it's overwhelming to think the influence that we have in the lives and how they're going to grow up to be what their foundation is in their life. Now, I know every child has, has, a, has a will. I know every child has a choice. And you can lay the foundation, and you can pray, and you can, I'm going to show you how to do that in a moment, how you do that foundation. But that doesn't guarantee that they're not going to go over fool's hill. They don't have to. They don't have to. They don't have to go over fool's hill. But I think of some of the godliest people I knew. I mean, Billy Graham had some wonderful daughters, but Franklin went crazy. I mean, he just got about as far away from God as you could. But guess what? The foundation that was laid, look how God brought him back. And today, he's a spokesman for the Lord Jesus Christ in America. So don't get all bent out of shape if you lay a foundation, but somehow they... Go astray from it. You just remember all that you put in them is there. And God is going to honor that. And the Bible says if you train up a child in the way he should go, even though he depart, he will return. But let, let me talk to you of this. How do we make our children angry? It says here now, I, want to, I had to say, Lord, you put that there. I want to know how I make my children angry. All right. For the first thing is the way you make your children angry is by the words that you say to them. Do you understand the power of words? There's life and death in the power of the tongue. Did you know that? Words can hurt and words can heal. And I am saying to you, one of the greatest ways you make your children angry is sometimes by the words you say to them. You criticize them. Hey, by the way, they're not perfect. You weren't either. But you find yourself being critical of them. You put them down. You know, the audacity of a father to say to his daughter or son, you know, you'll never amount to anything. How many times has that parent said that to a child? They get upset with them because of some failure. Well, you know, you're never going to amount to anything. If you keep on doing like that, you're going to end up in jail. Well, that's a nice thing to say to them. You make them angry by the words you say to them. You need, you need to, to 
build them up. You need to encourage them. And when they fail, you need to use it as an opportunity in love to teach them how they failed and the consequences. It does no good to berate them or to put them down or to criticize them or to say, well, you know, uh, you're just different. Don't do that. You anger your children with the words. And by the way, one way you anger them with your words, when you make promises to them and don't keep them. Well, I tell you what we're going to do Tuesday. Tuesday, you got something else to do. It's very important. Go play golf. So you say, well, son, I'm not going to be able to do it today. I got something important to do. Give me a break. What's more important to you? You see, I'll tell you how you anger your children with words. And you anger anger them when you break your promises to them. Because you tell them you're going to be something and you're going to do something and you don't do it. They may not voice that anger, but they have it. Another way we anger our children is by our absence. When we send the message to them by not being there, that they're not important. Now, we, we think the most important thing we do is to go to work and earn a living so that our family can live in a nice home, drive a nice car, and have food to eat, and that the husband is, a, and is the provider. But listen, you know, there, there comes a time when you've got to understand there's something that's more important than my job, and that is my child. And so if you allow work to consume you, and your, and your children rarely see you, then you've got your priorities totally out of order. Totally out of order. And so if you are absent when your children need you the most, I'm telling you, you may not know it. And they may be afraid to voice it. But the, your, your absence, or I shall I call it neglect, makes your children angry. Here's the third thing that makes them angry. And, and I just said, this, the Lord just gave this to me. I know it was him. He said, when you have unreal expectations of him, well, he's my son. He's going to make all A's, be president of the student body, get a full scholarship to college, and and be an All-American football player. Give me a break. What kind of expectations do you have of your children? You know the expectations you have, need to have, is the one God gives you. You need to say, Lord, you created this child. You know the capacity and who he is and his capabilities. So, God, don't let me expect more of him than you expect of him. It's almost like parents sometimes have this picture of what their child is going to be. And I want you to have dreams and have goals and for your children. But listen, don't have unreal expectations of them. Don't do that. Every child is different, and you've got to find out who they are. And the only way you can do that is when the Holy Spirit just gives you an understanding of their ability and capacity. Listen, do not compare your child with other people. Don't compare them. Well, you know, so-and-so's daughter is in the honor society and made all A's. And here you are. Come on. I tell you, so many times we have unreal expectations, and that is not good. And, and there's one other way we make our children angry. By the words we say to them, by our absence, 
when we need to be, there's called neglect. By unreal expectations of them, comparing them with others, and also trying to live your life through them. You know, there are people who had, had aspirations to be a great baseball player, a great football player, a great basketball player, or to be uh, the graduate uh, magna cum laude, a laude, how come? I can't remember. But uh, they have expectations, and, and, and they say, and, 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 and uh, the, the thing about it is that um, uh, don't try to... You don't try to live your life through them. I, I should have been that. I should have been that. And so what I was not able to be, my children are going to be. I, through them, I'm going to live the life I wanted to live. No, no. You let them live the life that God wants them to live. And if they choose to love things and desire things and do things that you did, that's good. But I've seen parents just absolute. Listen, when I was pastoring Woodlawn Baptist Church in Decatur, Georgia, there was a young man named Charles Dudish who went on to be quarterback for the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, and he was the number one football player in America that year when he graduated, and every school wanted him. But do you know what? I met his daddy, and his daddy had been a fair athlete, but I'm telling you, from the time that boy was two years old, he, he just kept pushing him and pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. And I got to know Charles, and he had, was converted during the Jesus movement and, 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 and got to talk to him. But you know what? His daddy was trying to live his life through him. And Charles ended up turning to alcohol and to drugs and never really, he started a couple of games at Georgia Tech, but he never became what he could have been because his father was constantly trying to live his life through him. Don't do that. So, what does the Bible say to us as fathers? Don't make your children angry. Well, I don't think I have, but you just look. And let me tell you about anger. Children sometimes, as they grow to, to be teenagers, they don't feel like talking about it. They feel threatened about it. They think you'll be ashamed of them. And they stuff it down inside of them. And guess what happens to them? They get depressed. And guess what happens? The second leading cause of death among teenagers, other than wrecks, between 18 and 23, is suicide. Why is that? Anger. Suppressed anger. Just stuffed down. Well, I'm never going to measure up. I'm never going to be. Now, some of them get into drugs and stuff, and that's the root of it. But I'm telling you, do not, he said, do not make your children angry. All right? All right, here's, what does he say to do? He says, bring them up, raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The first thing that tells me it's going to take time to bring them up. It's going to take energy to raise them up. It ain't just going to happen. It's not just going to happen. It's going to be absolute commitment to be involved. Raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's going to involve involvement in their daily lives. Now, people assume that um, it's the mother's responsibility to raise the children. Well, they just assume that. Well, the husband has to get up and go to work, and he comes back home. And that's what you've got to. Somebody's got to make a living. But I, I won't tell you right now, 
as a husband and a father, you, you can't turn the responsibility of raising the children over to your wife because God has told you to be involved and to be the leader in raising your children. Because you have a voice that your wife does not have. I'll tell you one thing. All my mother had to say to me when I was being bad, and I was very, very good when I was growing up. <laughs> Dear Lord, forgive me. I will not say that again. All my mother had to say to me, I'm going to tell your father when he gets home. Whoo, everything changed right then. I remember the time I got up, just was acting out in school, and I found out you could take a pencil and you could uh, mark it on paper, you know, one of those that had lead in them, and then you could make, make you could color your face. So I did it. And so I, she, they send me home. And mother says, well, what about when your daddy gets home? I said, please, please, let me hide under the table. I don't care what. Because I tell you what, I did not want to have to answer to him. But I had to. But you see, you can't turn the, the raising and the bringing up and the nurture of your children over to your wife. You can't. She's a part of it. A major part of it. But you, you can't just say, well, that's her responsibility. God said here, fathers. Now, let me say that again. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, but raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You can't turn it over to your wife. Now, how do you raise up your children? I am not speaking as one who did a great job or has all that, but I'm speaking the truth from the Word of God. Let me tell you something. The way you raise them up is by example. They say that action is worth a thousand words. If they don't see it in you, they're not going to believe it when you say it. And the greatest way a father raises up his children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is by example. His children see in him that which God wants to be in them. For example, if your children see you loving the Bible, guess what they're going to do? They'll love the Bible. When your son comes to you and are y'all just sitting around at the breakfast table or just having time, you're fishing and you're talking, your son says, well, what, what, what about this? Uh, why, why do we do this? You say, well, let me tell you why we do that. Because that's what the Bible teaches us to do. And you begin to teach him out of the Word of God. You see, and if the Bible is important to you, and if the Bible gives direction to your life, and if he understands that obeying the word of God to you is very important, then the Bible will become important to him and obeying the word of God will be important to him. What better thing to do than to discuss the, the issues when they get to be four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, when they're listening to you, you know? I, I mean, what better way to, than to answer their questions with the word of God? Well, Mama, why won't you let me dress like she dresses? Because I don't believe that's the way, way the Bible teaches that you ought to dress. Well, well you, why, why can't I go where he's going? She, well, I'll be honest with you. According to the Word of God, we don't go to places like that because it says abstain from all appearances of evil. Well, why can't I dress like her? Well, the Bible, all it says is to dress modestly. Have you ever thought about that? Let me tell you something. There's peer pressure 
but there's also the truth of the Word of God. Well, well, some of my classmates have got their hair purple. Well, why don't I dye my hair purple? Because God made it brown. That's not going to make some people happy. <laughs> and I kid people who've got different colored hair. They're just crying out for attention. Really, I'm different. I want to tell you something. You lead by example. You raise by example. The Word of God's important to you. You teach them how to respond to life with the Word of God. They're going to have a good foundation of life. By the way, listen, I've got this problem at school. This guy's picking on me. He's picking on me. And, and he's, 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 he's making me, he just gives me trouble. You say, well, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's pray for him. Let's pray that God will change him. Let, let's pray that you, 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 you'll know how to respond to him. Let, let's pray for him. Well, you mean, that, that's important. Yeah, we pray about things like that. Well, you know, Daddy, I'm struggling in math. I just can't seem to grasp. Well, let, let's pray about that. Let's pray that God will give you an, an ability to grasp that. And, and let's pray that God will put somebody in your life that can tutor you and help you in math. You see, you not only you say we make decisions about how we live based on the Word of God. The Bible is important to us, by the way. And we, we, we face dilemmas by praying. My grandson, um, if he's here, he'll be embarrassed. But he, I don't know if he's here or not. But anyway, he said... We were talking, and he said, there's one guy in my class, and he's two years older than everybody in there, and he just picks on me all the time. I said, well, you just got to pray for him. You ask God to change him. And uh, if you have to, just try to avoid him. He says, I do. But he always get in line right behind me. Well, I said, we just got to pray. Well, guess what? He got transferred to another school. <laughs> I bet Stephen, I bet Brandon saying, praise God. <laughs> I tell you, I, I can't tell it. I'd love to tell it. Oh, gosh, I'd love to tell it. <laughs> he had so much more. No, I'll tell you what. It, no, I can't do it. Damn it. I want to tell it so bad because he had so much more sense than I had. <laughs> oh, man, I'll tell you privately. Ask me about it. Oh, it, it blessed my heart beyond words. Listen, if the Bible's important to you, It'll be important to your children. If prayer is a part of your life, it'll be a part of your life. If they realize that you choose church, being with God's people, going to vacation Bible school, going to Bible study when they're 8, 9, 10, 11 in Sunday school, and when they see the church important to you, guess what? It will be important to them. If the beach is more important to you than the church, it'll be more important to them. You have to teach them. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And, and so much more as the day you say, listen, please hear me. You can speak a thousand words. But what they see that is important to you and what they see you doing is what they're going to embrace. You teach by example. Hey, by the way, you know, another way you teach by example is by the words that come out of your mouth. If you're negative, if you're critical, if you're fault-finding, if you're judgmental, guess what? Your kids are going to say, you know, that, guy, that guy in my classroom, he's a jerk. 
man, I'm telling you, I don't like him, and he never, and just, just, come on, come on. Don't you think they don't hear the way you talk about other people? If they see in you criticism and negativism and, 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 and putting other people down, speaking disparagingly of, of, of other races, and everything, I'll tell you something. They don't grow up in a vacuum. They grow up listening to what you're saying. If, if they see you treating your wife with love and respect and kindness, guess what they're going to do? They say, that's the way you're supposed to treat your wife. But if they see you doing it the other way, speaking negatively and Listen, you've got to understand, they do not grow up in a vacuum. And you can tell them all the words, but I'm telling you, you teach, you raise, you bring up by example. And if they see it in you, then they're going to catch it. And it's going to be very important to them. You know, uh, the way you treat people, are you kind to them? You see, they're going to treat people the way you treat people. Oh, yeah. So what I'm saying is this thing of raising children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You are a spiritual man, and you are led by the Holy Spirit. And so what you say is the Bible is our guide. That's why we, how we make decisions. We pray about everything and be sure that we're obeying God and that God is hearing and answering our prayers. And we're very careful about the words that come out of our mouth because words can hurt or heal. Our words can build up and edify. Listen, I'm telling you, you're wasting your time telling your child what to do and if it's not in your life and it's not important to you. You know, uh, there's a couple other things. The way you communicate with them. You know what you need to do? You need to find something that you and your child, your daughter or your son can do together. You know, I never will forget... Um, my good friend Jeff Spiller at Christ United Methodist Church, uh, who is a, a godly man and uh, has Parkinson's, so he's going to be moving to another area. But I, I never will forget, uh, we, we'd play golf together about twice a month. And, of course, he's a Methodist. And Methodists are good golfers because they don't have as much to do as Baptists. <laughs> But you know what? Every time we played, guess who he brought? There was Adam. He brought Adam with him every time we played. Adam was eight years old. And I called him, uh, I called him Big Adam. But they had him with him every time. Every time we played. And I watched him grow up. You see, and, and the quality time, Jeff, in doing something he enjoyed but spent with his son, I guarantee you, Adam grew up to be a wonderful man, a great golfer, by the way. But he, he, but he, but he grew up to be, and, and, I, and I just saw him finding things he could do that his daughter or son could do with him. And you've got to do that. That's some of the best time to communicate, some of the best time to communicate. I'm telling you, when you're doing something together, you've got to communicate with them. Don't ever let them shut you out. Don't ever let them stop talking to you. You, you keep talking to them when they're young, and you don't stop talking to them when they're 12. And you listen to them when they're young, but you don't stop listening to them when they're 12. Because they're trying to tell you something, and you can't listen to them if you don't communicate with them. And in order to communicate with them, you've got to spend time with them. You know, 
Here's the last uh, two things. Uh, you've got to um, have parameters. You've got to have rules that we live by in your house. And let me tell you, you know, I read this, and it's the clearest thing. I wish I'd have read it for my son who is 55. I wish I read it 55 years ago. He said, you say to them when they get to be of an age, now here are our parameters in our home. As long as we live in this parameter, we're going, it's going to be good. It's going to be peaceful. We're going to bless you. And, you, you know, we, you, you can just have all the freedom within these parameters. However, if you go outside that parameter, this is what the, the consequences are. And so they know that if they go out, break the rule, or go outside the parameter, here's the consequence. They know it. They know it. So they go outside the parameter, and, and so you say, okay, you know the rules. All right, you've, broken the, uh, you've gone outside the parameter. Here's the consequence. Well, I won't do it again. No, 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 you don't understand. The consequences are there. You've got to be consistent. You know, they'll try to talk you out of the consequences. Have you ever noticed that? Well, just give me one more try. I, I mean, I didn't mean to do No, listen to me. Listen. If you don't have consistency, they'll get where they don't believe you, and then they won't believe that the other authorities that have parameters and rules, they won't believe them either because you know, hey, bye, you can break the rules and get by with it. You have to have parameters, and there have to be consequences if the parameters are broken, and you have to be consistent, consistent. Don't be wishy-washy or you'll teach your child to be, have a split personality. I never forget, I love this one. <laughs> I love this story. They kept telling their son, you don't lock your door when you go in there. He's about 11 or 12. You do not lock your bedroom door. You leave it unlocked so we can come in there anytime we want to. So he just kept locking the door. They said, all right, we told you. Not to lock the door. You lock it one more time, and we're going to take the door off the hinges. Guess what? He locked it one more time. Can you imagine how naked he fell with no door in his bedroom at all? You could just walk by and see everything's going on. They left that door off for about two months. Guess what? He ain't locked it since then. He couldn't lock it for two months. He didn't have one. Hey, you've got to have parameters. It's called discipline. And you've got to be steadfast and you can't be inconsistent. And I close with this. You've got to have unconditional love. Don't you let your child think that your love for them depends on their performance. You hit a home run. Boy, daddy loves you. You struck out. Why did you strike out? Come on. Let them know when they're at their best. You love them. When they're at their worst. You love them as much as when they're at their best. God loves our Father. Thank you, Father, loves us unconditionally. He does not judge us by our performance. He does not. There are consequences when we, as believers, disobey God. He corrects us. But it's never because he loves us any less. So your children have got to know your love for them doesn't depend on whether they make all A's. Your love for them doesn't depend on whether or not they make the first team. Your love for them doesn't mean whether or not that they achieve something in this world. Your love for them is absolutely unconditional. You love them 
period. And you're going to be there for them with that unconditional love. Sometimes love corrects, but it's still love. You've got to love them unconditionally. You know, the Bible does give us some guidance. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But by your example, raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And you can't do that unless you're a spiritual man who surrendered to Jesus and allowed the Holy Spirit to fill you. When, when Ann and I got married, be 59 years this, this in, two, in about two weeks, my heavenly days. You know, we ran off and got married. I do not recommend that. My wife had to lie about her age. I do not recommend that. It was a disaster. I had as much sense as a, 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 a I ain't going to say, but I'm just, but you know, you know why we've been married, we'll be married 59 years? Because we got married in June and in March, God changed my life. And then God changed her life. And you know, here we are, be 59 years later, and you know how we've made it? Because Jesus Christ is the glue that'll keep you together. Jesus Christ is the bond that will forgive and accept and love. I am telling you, where would we be without Jesus? But I want to praise his name. And the same Jesus that helped us make it for 59 years, it's the same Jesus that lives in you if you're a child of God. And he wants to be in you all that he is. Doesn't mean you never mess up. Doesn't mean you're perfect. But you know what it is to forgive and to love and to accept and to put the past behind you. Thank God the best way to raise your children is in the power of the Holy Spirit.